Hello, everyone. My name is Wes Bush. I am the author of Product Led Growth, and I have my co host, Bramley, here. And today we are talking with Chris, who is the founder of Telemetry. And so, what I think is really fascinating about what Chris is trying to solve at Telemetry is really just focusing on the CRM for product led growth. I think it's such an interesting problem to solve because if you think about it, in a traditional sales led company, a lot of those CRMs are really focused on just deal flow and really getting someone from one end of the sales process to the other. But in a product led world, what happens with your CRM whenever you're thinking about? building a product-led business, it obviously has to change. And so can you just share a little bit more about your story about how you started solving this problem, Chris? Yeah. So I go kind of way back. I was doing product-led growth before we even knew what to call it. So I worked at a company called Formstack, which was an online form builder. And there we were, you know, marketing was driving 90, 95% of revenue through our product. And you know, marketing is really tasked with how do we get people to land on the website? How do we make it compelling enough where they start a free trial? And the biggest problem that we had was we got really good at the kind of top of funnel stuff. And we had a really good flywheel going with inbound marketing and SEM and all that. Um, and then we realized, hey, we actually kind of have to get smarter, right? Like there's going to be a day when our conversion rates drop or whatever, and we have to really understand what's happening on the back end. And we quickly realized, oh, we don't really know. Once marketing hands them off to the product, you know, a thousand people may come in and hundred convert. And we were like, wow, that's awesome. But we really had no idea why. So we kind of started instrumenting, you know, the systems. We were kind of cobbling together a bunch of things, whether it be marketing automation, analytics, uh, product analytics, all that kind of stuff. And we were trying to figure out, you know, what do people do in product and why are they successful? And so as we've kind of fast-forwarded, I was there for about 10 years and can fast-forward to what we're doing at Telemetry, we kind of understood the problem, right? That there's this huge black box of marketing owns kind of this set of data, product owns this set of data, and then sales owns this set of data. And I think we are trying to reimagine the way that people in, or, you know, marketers, product uh, folks, and sales folks should think about kind of product-led growth from end-to-end and not just kind of siloed traffic or siloed data. Um, And so we're really kind of focused on how do we create that kind of 360-degree, that complete view of a customer journey, not just from a marketing qualified standpoint, not just from a product standpoint, not just from an SQL standpoint, but really that whole funnel. So that's we're re-attempting or attempting to reimagine that kind of CRM view of of what it should look like for product-led growth folks. Awesome. So... Previously, today, we were talking with Alan Clement, who is one of the core leaders in the Job Speed Down movement. And so I'm going to ask some of the questions that he would probably ask you in terms of why you created this product. So I'm curious, like for everyone listening, how are people currently solving this problem right now with the CRM for a product-led company? Yeah, so if you think about five, six, seven years ago, Marketing kind of owned the tech stack, right? There was a, a couple of years ago, it was like CMOs are going to own the tech stack. And so you saw this proliferation of marketing automation, ABM, all of these kind of tech stack tools to really un- better understand the customers. And then you went uh, kind of back maybe three or four years ago, and all of a sudden, kind of UX and UI kind of became the, you know, kind of the sexy 
kind of forefront for technology. And so all of a sudden you had this idea that the product itself has to be really slick because what you're getting is this idea that uh, you've got this consumerization of SaaS and you have all these kind of things that people are used to buying, uh, whether it be mobile or desktop, and just having really good kind of user experiences, right? And so all of a sudden product got a whole bunch of tools, whether it be analytics or whatever it may be, right? And so all of a sudden you had this kind of separation of, of data. And so we think about how people are doing it today is you've got marketing teams that own kind of the data piece on the front end. You've got product that may or may not be instrumenting tools for product analytics. And then you have sales who kind of own CRM, right? So typically what happens is a marketer who owns a revenue number, right, is driving traffic to the website and they're driving people to a conversion event being a trial, freemium, whatever it may be. And they suddenly go to product and, and data engineering and they say, hey, we really want to know what makes our customers successful, right? And if the product team or the engineering team has this analytics installed, they can say, hey, yeah, we'll give you that data. Otherwise, they're saying, okay, give, we're going to put that in a sprint. We're going to tap our database. We're going to get you a whole list of users and this is what the path looks like or this is what the data looks like, right? And then they give it to marketing and then marketing says, great, what the heck do I do with this, right? And so then they go to sales ops and say, hey, you know what? We really need this data because, you know, our SDRs are working these uh, trialers and we want them to be smarter. So they spend another three to four weeks working with sales ops to try to ingest this data, both on the marketing side, on the product side, and then they're trying to shove it into a CRM. And oh, by the way, they're trying to kind of do this lead scoring process, right? And so there's this kind of very manual process along with all these other tools that aren't really meant to talk to one another. And then the CRM is that kind of that last mile where whether it be Salesforce or whatever, you know, you've got these kind of systems that were built in the nineties. You know, I don't think, I mean, segment just had a big kind of talk about this, how the CRM isn't enough. Right. Um, and you have these tools that are basically built for kind of one-to-one -one sales and they're not meant to ingest a lot of this product data. So that's the way it's kind of being done now. And it's just such a, Frankenstein approach, basically, to how do we plug in all these tools, how do we plug in Mixpanel, et cetera, these database tools to get some of that product data out. Then we're going to ingest it into Salesforce. And oh, by the way, Salesforce and our ABMs are meant to be charged on a per lead basis. And if you're a product-led organization and you're trying to drive thousands of trailers, suddenly your bill goes up a huge amount, right? So there's just this kind of system that kind of is, is disincentivizing users to kind of really think about a product-led growth strategy. That's uh, super fascinating. And it reminds me, kind of makes me laugh because I'm like, oh, I've been there. <laughs> like, <laughs> trying to get all that data. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who's been on a kind of product or marketing side is like, oh God, I've lived that nightmare, right? Yeah. No. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts since obviously you're, you're all in on product-led growth. Like why do you think like product-led growth is eating the world in SaaS? Yeah, I think two things, right? I think what we've seen is kind of this consumerization of SaaS and this, this model where people are just used to, hey, I can call an Uber at any moment and it's just a very slick interface. And see, you see this kind of transformation of kind of B2C kind of behavior transferring over to B2B, right? And I think that you're starting to see this kind of democratized approach to buying software and organizations where more and more people have power to go say, hey, there's a job to be done, right? And I found this tool and it's a cost-benefit analysis and I ran it and my manager says, hey, that's fine, go ahead and buy it, right? And you've got these kind of low-cost tools, sub kind of $500 where you can swipe a credit card and you can use it in your, in your organization. 
I think the other thing is this kind of shift in sales mentality, right? I think the old way of, hey, let's set up a 15-minute meeting so I can qualify you and we're going to run through a deck. It's really not going to tell you anything about the demo or about the product. And then I'm going to pass you off to this BDR. And the BDR is going to run through this kind of qualification call again. And then maybe we'll show you a demo. And it's not even a demo of the product. It's a demo of a deck, right? And I think people have just gotten really frustrated with that selling model. And more and more people, you know, if you even go back to like marketing, people don't even want to put their information into downloading a white paper because they know that that chain of events is going to start happening. So this kind of sales process that so many kind of enterprise sales uh, companies have gone through in the SaaS model have gone through is just kind of just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And so I think you have this kind of conglomeration of effects coming together where product-led is just really this really nice try it before you buy it, low-cost approach for a kind of bottoms up. And then you have these products that are really well built that give a really good user experience and allow people to try it and buy it and get in without having to, to go through a whole sales process. And so I get this question all the time, so I'll throw it back at you. But why now? Why? Why is product-led growth taking over? Yeah, I think it is this kind of divergent path of all of these things, right? I do think that the, the shift in buyer behavior is probably the biggest thing, right? If you think about the amount of information that we have available to us, you know, go back 10 years ago, and if you were searching for CRM, maybe Salesforce was the only one, right? Or may, you know, maybe there's Salesforce on HubSpot or maybe a couple others. I think you just see this proliferation of software that's really solving these very point solutions. People are able to go to Google, they're able to go to G2, they're able to go to their LinkedIn networks, they're able to go to their peers at conferences. And there's just this vast array of information where people can do a lot of research, right? I think the stat out there is kind of 70% of B2B buyers have done you know, 40% or more research before they've even decided uh, to reach out to a company, right? And so there's just a vast amount of information out there. So I think, again, you kind of meld that part with all of the other things um, that I kind of talked about before. And you just get this moment in time where just people are ready to buy the way that they want to buy, right? And I think that's the crux of it right now. And and I think you're just going to continue to see that shift as we get more digitally native folks who are coming into the business world, who are used to having these kind of seamless experiences with the other products that they use in their life. They want to buy software for their, for their jobs the same way. I'm curious what you think teams should look like to respond to that shift in buyers. Like what should product-led growth teams look like? Yeah, I think, you know, again, kind of going back and I kind of age myself with every time I say, let's go back, right? (laughs) I think, you know, five, six, seven years ago, we saw this kind of growth hacking, right? Growth hacking kind of became this big thing where it's like, let's put one person on a job where their only focus is how do we kind of grow revenue, right? I think what you're seeing now is these growth, out of growth hacking, you've seen growth teams and you've got, you know, manager of growth, director of growth, uh, whatever those titles are, are becoming. And I think the ideal situation is you have these cross-functional teams where it's marketing, it's product and sales, right? And sales is really kind of that year for product and marketing. This is what we're hearing from our buyers. Product is really kind of that user experience in marketing and saying, okay, what, how do we find repeatable channels to meet these needs? So I think what organizations need to start looking at, and I think what a lot of them are doing is kind of looking at these growth teams as cross-functional teams that all talk to one another. And again, I think that's where the data problem comes in is because right now you don't have sets of tools that kind of show that end-to-end uh, customer journey. 
And you need that when you're really focused on growth and growth teams and, and having folks that kind of reach across kind of all of those those sections. Definitely. And I was just looking the, well, earlier this week to using like some customer uh, data platform where you have all the things in one place. It was called Hull. And it was really kind of fascinating just to see if you could have access to all that information in one place. And so I totally understand the angle you're, you're really trying to get is, can we help people really just get access to all that information? But even with products like Hull, where they do get all that data in one place, the thing is, you got to have it in a format where it's actually actionable. So sure, it's one thing to be able to search and find all that info in one place. But I think the, the real kind of interesting problem you're trying to tackle is, now how do we make that useful? And so what are some of the ways you're trying to solve that? Because I think the first challenge, which you mentioned, <laughs> I totally agree with you, is just data overwhelmed. There's data silos, there's data all over the place. It's messy. So you can clean that up, you can put it in one place, but how do you make that actionable for people? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the conversations that we've heard are, you know, kind of going through our validation and, and as we're starting to build the product is that very thing, right? There's a lot of BI tools, there are a lot of analytics platforms. And if you talk to kind of early stage CEOs or if you talk to kind of product marketing folks or marketing folks, the biggest question is, okay, so what, right? Like I can get a whole bunch of data today but I don't have the time or the energy or the team to kind of deploy any sort of kind of understanding around it. So I think what kind of the next evolution is, is this kind of understanding of can data be smarter than humans, right? So one of the things that we're kind of working on is this kind of scoring model where it takes into account all of the data that happens in the marketing channels plus the product channels. And can we score that in kind of a PQL format, a product qualified format, then delivers that to sales and says, hey, sales, these are the people who've gone through these channels and based on the actions of past users, uh, they look like the users who should convert, right? And they should convert at our monthly plan, they should convert at our annual plan or whatever that may be, right? So you're creating these custom segments with these scores. And then I think the next layer of that is, is really understanding that activation layer, right? So how do you create kind of messaging? How do you create product experience? And how do you develop that into sales? And so the things that we're kind of looking at is, you know, do we integrate with the other kind of point solutions that do these things really well, or do we kind of build this all into one platform? I think, you know, there are lots of great things to be said about a singular platform, but there's also some really good tools out there that do these mm -hmm. things really well. So I think buyers want to have flexibility. So I think as you see platforms built out now where you're going to see kind of these end-to-end -end solutions, you're probably going to see kind of lightweight iterations of messaging and email and things like that, but integrations that go to other solutions that do those things rock solid and are already implemented in, in organizations. So that's kind of the approach that we're taking, but that activation layer is so huge. But I think part of that starts with that kind of scoring model. Can we score better? Can we raise those kind of uh, users to the surface and allow people to take actions on those people? Because that's, you know, the, the science and the data science is, piece is telling us those are the right people. And it's all based on the actions that happened prior to, you know, engaging with those users. Absolutely. And I want to dig deeper in that. So I know probably like 80% of the people listening to this podcast will know what product qualified leads are, but for the 20% that don't, can you just take a step back and just explain what those are? Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about kind of the old model, right, the sales and marketing qualified, right? So marketing would attempt to say, hey, based on user engagement on our website, whether they visited our pricing page, attended a webinar, or went to our case studies page, we would kind of score these as they're highly engaged with our customers, right? And so what would happen is 
marketing came up with and developed this score that said, hey, they're they're an 80 out of 100 and we're going to pass these on to sales, right? And so MQLs would get passed to sales and sales would say, hey, we qualified these folks. And typically the conversation was these marketing qualified leads are junk. So why do you, why do you keep sending them over, right? <laughs> but sales would then go back and qualify them again and say, hey, out of those 100 people that you sent over to me, 10 of them were really qualified because they had buying power, you know, whatever the criteria are that you, you listed. And so you get this SQL model, right? And then those eventually get worked. From the product qualified standpoint, I think, you know, what you're looking at is what's the engagement in the product? What are the things that our converted users do and what makes them paying customers? And so what you're trying to attempt to qualify is those paths that people take within your product uh, that should ultimately convert them. And so that's kind of where the product qualified comes from. And I think that the challenging thing is that there are so many paths. You know, if you think about kind of people who are offering freemium or free trials, There's so many paths users can take. So when you're trying to do this from a manual process, most teams are kind of working within a limited set of data and guessing at like, hey, these these are the three or four things that we think are the most important in our product. And then they kind of disqualify everything else. And I think that's where the current P2L kind of models fails. And so you touched on it, but how do you go about actually understanding what should the product qualified lead be? And while you're thinking of the answer, like I will tell you my personal experience with most companies, whenever we get to this conversation, it usually takes a long time. And that is honestly because people like to overthink it. And I just see again and again, people try and overcomplicate the product qualified lead. So I want to hear from your ends. Like, how do you really approach this? Because I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, at FormStack, so we're an online form building tool. And so we kind of came up with a couple of different formulas. I mean, there are some basic things that we knew. Like if somebody logged in more than two times uh, in their free trial, like they were like 10x likely to convert, right? So it was like, okay, do they have more than two logins in their trial? Do they create a form? Do they create a template inside the form and they, do they receive submissions? So I think, I think at the very basic levels, it's like, what are the things that people need to do to be successful? Whether it's a form building software, whether it's email, whether, you know, whatever it is, it's really understanding, okay, what are the key triggers that are going to make people kind of come back? I think the other thing is, you know, if you kind of look at OpenView's kind of definition of product-led growth, one of those things is kind of inherent virality or kind of the shareable kind of process or product. Um, and so I think it's also looking at like, if you have a software that is like an agenda creator, right? Like, or a meeting kind of calendar, do they send out invites to other people to create agendas or to create calendar invites or things like that? What are the actions that kind of show this kind of repetitive viral nature? So I think it's understanding what makes people successful in your product. And it may be kind of at the very minimum, it may be like three or four things. And then kind of looking at what makes people want to share this with other people in their organization and how do we kind of qualify or quantify that. And so the controversial part, do you think people can throw out the marketing qualified lead and just substitute it for product qualified leads? Or is there people you recommend using both of them or just one or the other? What's your take? I think it should be a combination, quite honestly. I think you've got to look at how are people engaging with the brand before they come in to start a trial, right? There are a lot of people who will come in and just start a trial because they're like, hey, this looks cool, right? And they may have interacted with, you know, a paid search landing page or something else. They find you, you know, through some channel, they click in, they're like, eh. And they may take, you know, no action in your on your website. 
but suddenly they get inside, they're like, holy cow, this thing is amazing. And they start using it. Right. And the opposite is true where somebody could be highly engaged with your website and all of a sudden they get into your product. And there's one of two reasons. One, the product doesn't meet their needs or it's really hard to get into the product. And so they may have a low product score, but they have a really high engagement score and marketing would be like, those are the best people. Right. And kind of what we learned at Formstack, and this is when we were kind of doing marketing qualified leads was we would score people really high because they would attend webinars, they would download white papers, they would do all the things. And then suddenly sales would start to reach out to them. And they're like, they ghost us. And we actually called them content hoarders, right? Because we found these people who like, they loved all the content that we were putting out and they would attend every single webinar and download every single thing that we produced. And on paper, we're like, we should have, you know, a million dollars in pipeline just sitting here waiting. But they were just people who really were engaged with the brand and the, and the website and all the content, but they were never going to buy from us. Right. And so I think that you see kind of these outliers. And so you have to be able to marry both of those uh, things and say, okay, what makes sense from an engagement and marketing standpoint? What makes sense from a product standpoint? And how do we kind of put those two together? I'm curious once a company identifies their PQL or product qualified lead, you know, what, what kind of things should they do next? Should they, you know, send them to a different kind of email drip or should you send them uh, customer success to start reaching out to them already? I think it's both, right? I think the best kind of opportunities are really understanding what channels uh, do they come from? What kind of success do we think that they're going to have within the product? Are they kind of one-time usage? Uh, are they going to be heavy users based on kind of user patterns and kind of what we know of existing users? And then it's figuring out how do we engage with them, right? It may be as simple as, you know, somebody who comes in and they know that they want to use integrations, right? And so we, we show integrations to somebody in the product a little bit sooner than we would in a different onboarding path. It may be, hey, this person looks like somebody who is, could be an annual customer and they look like they could be a good enterprise user because we know that we have four other people from the organization who have signed up and this person happens to have a good title or whatever it may be. And so sales could reach out to those folks and say, hey, let's engage in a conversation where some paths maybe, you know, at Formsec, we knew that like there was 10 to 20% of our trialers would just convert automatically. So it was just like, if we have really good email campaigns and we have a really good onboarding experience, that's a very low touch and there's no reason to ever get sales involved, right? So I think it's really understanding how do you kind of figure out which paths people are on? How do you identify those types of users? How do you segment them into the right tracks? And then you kind of layer in the right kind of touch points along the way. And I think the one piece you mentioned there that is so understated, but so important at the same time is segmentation. So (laughs) I see a lot of product-like companies investing a lot of resources and time to really nail segmentation because it can just launch people into the right part of the product that they actually care about and solve that problem for them. So how do you recommend teams to really focus on segmentation and really hone in on delivering the value that they promise to their users as quickly as possible? Well, I think what happens is one, we're too reliant on personas, right? I think we heard that kind of mantra for a long time and we said, okay, this person has to kind of fit into this persona. They have to be from this size or organization. They have to have this title. They have to have this kind of use case. And I think what you see in product-led growth is you see kind of these individual buyers who may not fit a persona coming in and and buying the software, right? And so I think it's kind of looking down a layer past the persona and saying, okay, what are the actions that people are actually doing in the product? 
And how do we create a kind of sub personas or kind of sub layers of segments of, of people, right? So we could have our ideal customer segments, but then what are the other characteristics that people have that may be kind of attribute, you know, that can go up into those personas? And so I think it's trying to understand, let's work from a baseline of personas, then let's really understand the data of what makes people successful. And then let's create kind of real time, uh, you know, and it's hard to do real time, but kind of semi real time uh, kind of segmentation within the user data that we're able to see and really kind of nail down what are the actions, what are the things that people are doing within the product and within the marketing website to really kind of understand what those segments should be. I think, uh, again, the beauty of product led growth is that you can have these great kind of enterprise level customers and segments and personas. But you're going to get this kind of other 80% of these customers that could drive a, you know, what kind of revenue for you if you kind of just figure out what do they look like and build a good path to them. So I think it's understanding who your ideal persona is, but then using the data to really understand what are the kind of subcomponents of people that are using your product and just delivering good experiences along those lines. Yeah, I mean, there's the content hoarders on one end, then there's the product hoarders. You want those ones. (laughs) Right, Right. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of folks who, you know, the hard part is there are a lot of people, and we saw this at FormSec and I've, I've seen it and talked to a lot of other organizations. You have people who come in and they'll, they'll try something with a Gmail account, right? And then ultimately they may convert after their 14-day or 30-day trial. They may convert two months, three months down the line with a business email. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how did I know that that person who was just kind of trying out because they don't want to be touched by sales, they don't want to get a bunch of spam. All right. They kind of come in incognito. And then when they're ready to buy, they're going to come and buy from their real kind of work address. And so there's a lot of complexity in the data to really understand that. But I think it's really understanding like that is a possibility. So how do we kind of build and how do we identify those types of people, those types of users early on that we can kind of at least keep them in the mix when they are ready to convert? So there's, there's a lot of outliers. There's a lot of complexity. You've just given away my playbook for signing up for products. <laughs> it's always a Gmail. I barely check <laughs> yep. because I'm like, I know yep. there's probably 30 emails. I just saved myself if I use this Gmail, which is just to check it out at the end of the day. And then if I'm serious, it's the business email. <laughs> yep. You're the one who causes all the, all the data problems for the product and marketing folks. I know. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not really that sorry. <laughs> awesome. So for people who are listening, you're like, you know, I really want to become more product-led. Like, how do you recommend teams to kind of make this big transition? Because it is really big, going from a sales-led organization to more of a product-led organization. So how do you make that happen? I think a lot of it is just having the mindset. I, I think what most product-led organizations have is this kind of iterative mindset, right? They're going to test and they're going to iterate their way to ultimately, what is a better product? And so I think when you're trying to make that shift, it's really understanding what are the things that we can make product-led versus kind of our whole suite, right? It's very hard to turn a whole software company into a product-led organization. I'm actually, I was talking to a company here in town. uh, We live in Indianapolis called NCAMP. And they're very highly sales-driven because they have a very niche product in the health and safety industry. But they launched a free calendar tool. And it's a calendar tool that shows you when all of the health and safety regulations are due, you can kind of put the reporting dates in and they give you kind of this access to this reporting database. And that's their free tool. And that's a great product-led growth strategy, right? Like 
they're very much a sales-driven organization, but they found a really key component that helps people interact with them and their product in a free and light, easy way. And then that becomes kind of a lead generation tool. So I think it's thinking about what are the ways that we can kind of, you know, productize some things that help us kind of build that kind of flywheel effect. And then how do we kind of focus our sales efforts on kind of these larger areas where we know sales is going to, you know, have to take place. So I think it's definitely not a and or strategy. I think it can be combined. You just have to be smart about what are the things that we can build that help people kind of at least get introduced to the product. Absolutely. And I really like that whole story because it really does show that it doesn't necessarily have to be like, let's rehaul our current product that's you know driving all the sales today and just cold turkey, this sales strategy is never going to work that way. And so if you can at least test it out with a smaller product or maybe launch something new, even on the marketing side... Like there's so many great examples of this, whether it's like HubSpot's website grader, WordStream's AdWords grader, and I mean, there's tons of other graders, but <laughs> even yeah. like things like quizzes that give you really valuable information at the end of them. So there's so many great ways you can kind of at least test this strategy. And I love that calendar example. So as we end this episode, what's next for you and Telemetry? Yeah, so we're actually, we're building kind of the product right now where kind of hoping to launch our kind of first MVP in the end of March. And then we're also kind of working on kind of a content site where we're uh, it's called Product-Led University, which does not compete with anything you're doing. <laughs> but it's, it's more for a way for us to kind of build our thought leadership in the space and kind of really uh, kind of build that brand up as we kind of build out telemetry and then we'll kind of marry the two. Um, but yeah, we're, we're looking to launch our kind of first kind of MVP in March and hopefully we'll be off to the races after that. Awesome. And so where can people learn more about you and telemetry? Yeah. So uh, you can go to telemetry.io or productled.university. And I am on LinkedIn, Chris C. Lucas on LinkedIn. So Perfect. And the same, I'm Chris underscore C underscore Lucas on Twitter, which that is the most terrible name on Twitter, but uh, it was better than my first Twitter name. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I can remember my first email address is like eat underscore potatoes one two three four. <laughs> like, stupid. Well, yeah, I was I was at hockey skates on Twitter because I'm a huge hockey fan and yeah. I played hockey, and I was like, I don't know if this Twitter thing is going to take off, so I don't really want my real name. Yeah, so I took hockey skates, and then I was like, yeah, that was terrible. I missed the the actual name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it happens to all yeah. of us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly perfect well thanks so much for coming on chris it's been a blast chatting with you yeah i appreciate it thank you for having me on all right